Welcome. You are listening to the Sioux Falls Startup Stories Podcast. All right, welcome to the first episode of Season 2 of the Sioux Falls Startup Stories Podcast. I am so excited to be back at this again for another season. If you haven't had a chance already, go back and listen to my Episode 0 uh, it's just me kind of kind of setting up this season, talking about myself, my goals for the podcast, uh, what I learned through uh, season one of the podcast, and how it's maybe going to change a little bit. Uh, I do share some exciting news about a new sponsor of the podcast. We're going to get into that a little bit later, um, as well as just some other exciting changes and some updates and what you can expect for this season. So that's episode zero. Uh, but getting into it this week, I sit down for my first dual interview. So this week was Matt Hastead and Tyler Jefferson of the Remedy Brewing Company. So there's three of them total altogether who are the the founders of the company. Uh, But Remedy Brewing Company, they have, I'm going to call it a robust startup story. And you'll see what I mean as we get into the makings of one of Sioux Falls' first real tap houses. So one thing that I'm always curious about when I get started with these interviews is if they've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. You'll find through this season already, as I've done some of my interviews, it's not always a straight path to business ownership. And in the case of the Remedy founders, starting a business wasn't really a a lifelong or early lifelong dream. But Matt's background did help him set up for some self-ownership. I think for me, um, I grew up on a farm and my dad always worked for himself. He was always doing what needed to be done when it needed to be done. Um, But what was so wonderful about that was when I was a kid, he was able to make it to every single activity that I was in. He was always there. His flex or his schedule was fairly flexible, but if he wasn't doing work, he had to do it when he got back home or he had to finish it at any point in the day. And so growing up in that environment and seeing that, um, I, I always kind of wanted to be my own boss and I always wanted to, to have that flexibility uh, to raise a family and be able to do what I wanted when I wanted. Um, and then at, um, at the same time, I really struggle with repetition. So I like something new all the time and I really struggle with authority. I, I didn't like to do what I want to do, not necessarily what somebody else wants me to do. And so I just never really fit in with any of the jobs that I had. I was, uh, I was always better than average, but never an excellent employee either because I always questioned things and I always kind of pushed back against the authority a little bit. So I think entrepreneurship was definitely uh, always calling my name. I just never really was able to put a, put a path to it up until uh, we started this. This is the case in the mindset for so many entrepreneurs that I talk to, in, including myself. I just never really fit in. I didn't like the authority. Uh, I didn't like making money for other people. And I just wanted the flexibility of owning my own business and so on. Now, Tyler's answer wasn't much different, although his background was a more traditional path of school and science and a corporate nine to five lab job. Honestly, it's one of those things where, you know, you're kind of in your mid twenties and you get close to 30 and you're like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I, I like what I'm doing, but I don't feel that calling. So what was Tyler doing? Well, it wasn't sitting around brewing beer. It was actually some pretty cool science stuff. So I got a bachelor's of biology, and I was just kind of similar trend with Matt. They're kind of interested, love science, love chemistry, genetics, all that stuff, but just never really found, like, I don't want to commit to a certain field of grad school. I don't love it. You know, do I want to work in the lab, blah, blah, blah. So I got actually did end up working on a medical research lab for the uh, Blue Hospital first for a good eight years. So there's a lot of lab work, uh, like I said, chemistry genetics is a cancer research lab for the most of that time. So I can't say I always, you know, when I was 
you know, four years old, my dad asked me what I wanted to be. I couldn't say I was an entrepreneur, but uh, I will say there's definitely some lightning bolts. And when it does hit, you're like, yep, that's it. That's, that's my purpose. That's what I want to do. Um, probably a lot of that came from is, you know, working up in a more corporate environment, uh, the freedom that you get to be your own boss and, you know, you kind of, you have a good idea here or there and it gets shot down, you know, normal part of the day, but um, just the ability to, if there's something broken, you can fix it. And if there's something that screwed up, it's your fault and uh, no one else to blame and get it done. No one else to blame and get it done. That's something that every business owner either knows going into it or it's something they learn pretty quickly. So with such different backgrounds and paths in life, how did these guys come together to create what's known today as the Remedy Brewing Company? Um, well, I kind of got into homebrewing when I was 19 here uh, at Augustana, and uh, it's probably not something that I should openly go on the record <laughs> record saying here, but it was one of those things where it was an economic decision for us, me and my friends. Uh, we were paying a guy to buy us a case of beer, as uh, many college students do, and uh, we decided, man, we can probably make this cheaper because you know we're giving him 20 bucks for an $11 case of beer, and he's keeping the nine. Like this is this is ridiculous. We're getting ripped off. Uh, so we went out and we bought just a cheap homebrew kit, uh, you know, when we were 19 and cocksure and knew everything about everything. So we uh, made some horrible beer because we realized very quickly we knew nothing about anything. And a buddy of mine said, well, you, sh you should go talk to the cross-country team. I said, well, what do you mean? And he goes, well, they've been handing down a homebrew system from seniors to juniors. And then the seniors have been responsible for brewing beer for the cross-country team during their off-season. And I was like, that is brilliant. So I went over, talked to them, realized every little thing I was doing wrong, uh, and then started making some, some passable beer. But at that time, too, it was a big time commitment, so didn't really get much into it, but it was just one of those things that we did for fun, and it was like, Eureka, we have beer. Um, then I ended up uh, going abroad for a master's program, and that's where my eyes were really opened up to what beer could be and uh, what different flavors and history and science and creativity goes into actually making a beer. Uh, so we, once I came back, I kind of got into homebrewing more and upped my game and uh, went from kits to all grain. Uh, and then when I moved back to Sioux Falls, I uh, started working some really dead-end jobs, as we kind of talked about. And there was a ice storm in April of 2013 that knocked out all of the old trees here in Sioux Falls. And a tree fell against the house I was staying at. I was staying with a buddy. And it ripped the power out of our house, and we didn't have power for two weeks. So one of our other founders here, Jason, was nice enough to say, hey, you can crash in my basement. Uh, and he had a daughter at the time who was pretty young, and uh, after about two weeks of her poking me in the eye each morning to wake me up, I said, I have to change something. <laughs> like, I'm in a horrible job. I'm sleeping on a couch. Like, I, financially, I'm not where I need to be. And I said, what do I love doing? How can I actually start making a difference? And I looked, and at that time, Sioux Falls didn't have any breweries. So I turned to Jason and I said, man, I like making beer. I love the aspect of a brewery. Do you want to start a brewery? Fully expecting him to laugh me out of his basement. And he goes, yeah, yeah, let's do this. So we invested in some semi-professional equipment, uh, started honing our recipes. And then uh, that's kind of where, where Tyler comes in here. I'll let you tell your side of the story there. You know, I remember that ice storm and it was brutal. But in hindsight, that terrible storm from so long ago, it ended up producing one of my favorite places to sit back and just enjoy a beer. So I guess I'll take it. Now, Matt mentions Jason. He's the third in the company. Matt told me that Jason is the all-around guy. He brews, he fixes, he sells, he fills in the gaps. That sounds like a pretty good third to me. Now, Tyler's entrance into the company, well, 
I'll just let him tell it. Um, basically, I was a year older than Matt, and I was that guy who graduated before most of his friends did. So he got to see all his, his buddies slacking off and having no responsibility. And, you know, I had the nine to five job and the steady girlfriend, now wife of almost 10 years. So love you, honey. Uh, <laughs> then one day I was hanging out while Matt and Jason were in their homebrewing phase at that point. And look over in the corner and I see this bubbling vat of something. I didn't know anything about craft beer at that point. And it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. What is that? Um, well, it's beer. Like, you can make beer. That's, I didn't know that. That's pretty rad. So uh, kind of got piqued my interest a little bit. And you pick up the uh, how to brew textbooks and what is this? And it's kind of, boom, eureka, lightning bolt. Uh, it's a lot of, again, genetics, chemistry, uh, yeast strains, biology. And it's like, okay, I think I can use this a little bit. And so I kind of laid down a little gauntlet and, uh, hey, Matt, Jason, make me a beer I think I would drink in a, in a restaurant. Okay, so a few weeks pass, and what did they bring me? None other than a very early version of uh, Queen Bee, which is now our best-selling beer. And uh, I was like, I'm in. Let's do this. So then we kind of got on the train of uh, perfecting our recipes, tweaking them here and there, and uh, really just hitting the pound or hitting the pavement. Queen Bee is the beer to try. If you're kind of like me and not much of a craft brew drinker, you don't get into the the oohs and ahs of this hops or that grain. Queen Bee is just a good classic beer. It's pretty light and it's something traditional and honestly, it's the best beer you're ever going to have. So at this point, they've got a beer, they've got an idea of what they want to create, and now it's time to move. It's time to build a brewery. You would think from this stage, the path to success would be pretty straightforward. You find some money, find a space, open your business. Yep, pretty simple. Tyler kind of glossed over a little bit um, about the conversations we had and how many times we actually got said no to. Uh, because I don't think any entrepreneur starts this wanting to be like, hey, I want to depend on investors. Or, hey, I want to give up ownership of my company. You go into it thinking, I know what's best, I know what's right, I'm going to do everything you know, right. And uh, it is one of those paths where, okay, do we self-fund this? Well, none of us are, are loaded or have trust funds or anything like that. So we're like, well, where do we find money? So at first, we talked to the uh, Small Business Development Center, and uh, we went through their program, and we were looking at actually getting an SBA loan. Um, and it was a weird dichotomy of trying to find a bank that would back it and fund it with the SBA because we had to give our sales pitch and our business plan and our pro forma and you know, our, our 5, 10, 15 year plan to all these different banks, while at the same time trying to make sure we're not giving away too much information because at that point in time, we were the first brewery. Nobody else had a brewery up and running. So we're pitching a plan for something that wasn't even here yet. Looking back, it's hard to think that Sioux Falls didn't have a brewery. Now, the time that he's talking about is right about 2013. So six years ago, Sioux Falls didn't even have a brewery? Really? Um, so for us, it, you know, looking at this massive amount of money and saying, how are we going to get this? We're like, well, let's, let's find a loan because the resale on it is so good that a bank would be dumb not to do it because you can get probably 80% return if we do tank and they need to sell it off you know, as collateral. We're like, let's put that up and they can just have the system. We're fine with that because they'll sell it quick. I mean, this sounds great. As an entrepreneur, why not? You give me the money, and if I tank, just sell what you bought me. But the bank doesn't always see it that way. You know, the brewing industry, this is the first one in Sioux Falls. So to get a bank to not look at this as just another restaurant, which if you look at restaurants, you know, 80% of them close within the first three to four years. So for them to say, 
wait, you want how much money to put in a restaurant that is probably gonna close? I mean, that, just, that was just unfeasible for a lot of people. So to try to say, no, 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 look, here's the brewing industry numbers. So few of them are actually going out of business and the ones that are, you can usually see a clear path to why they did. And being able to be like, no, we, we, we got this. We, we know what we're doing. We feel very confident in this. While at the same time trying to sell them an air sandwich of, you know, scalability and all that kind of stuff as well. Like you said, um, it, was, it was very difficult. And so uh, one of the best conversations, too, that we had and one that was the most frustrating was we came to the bank in the SBA meeting and I was showing our pro forma numbers saying, I think we're going to be able to do this. And they looked at that and said, that's, that's a load of hogwash. And I said, why? And they're like, well, you're showing, you're showing a profit your first year. I'm like, yeah, I'm showing a profit. I, I truly think we're going to be profitable. Right? And they're like, no, no businesses are profitable your first year. We want you to show a loss. Well, when you're putting together a pro form, you're like, all right, well, maybe we won't do this much in sales, or maybe our costs will be more than we want. But uh, when I put together my numbers, I'm, I'm very conservative when I put together my numbers. I always use the highest in costs, and I always use the lowest in production and estimate numbers. So that way, I'm, I'm very much an under-promise, over-deliver kind of person. Um, so even with all of that, we were showing a profit in our first year in our numbers and our calculations, and I'm going... I, I mean, okay, let's assume this thing is going to flop and we're going to show a profit our first year. So I come back with the numbers, show them a loss, and then the words out of their mouth were, well, why would we invest in you if you're going to lose money? <laughs> and I'm just like, what do you want? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I was like, I can make these sing. I can make them say whatever you want them to say. Just tell me what you want because truthfully, these are what I realistically think. This is my projections. This is what we're going to do. This is the point when starting a business and entrepreneurship can get tough. It can be dismal. The bank wants numbers, so you give them numbers. They don't like your numbers, so you give them new numbers. And then they respond with, why would we work with you if these are your numbers? Yeah, if any of those bankers that passed on these guys are listening, well, you passed on the wrong group. Matt had a really good quote at the time, and it was, we need to find ourselves some cowboys, some people that just grabbed it, and I believe in you guys, let's do this. And that was via the angel investment route, which we didn't even know what the term angel investment meant at that time, so there's a lot of Googling how-to business, how-to sales pitch, you know. But... Uh, I think it became readily clear we were just getting very, uh, like you said, kind of washed out. It's like, okay, we showed them this, they didn't like it. We showed them that, they didn't like it. Which, ironically now, banks are funding breweries in Sioux Falls. So it's kind of like, huh, told you so, you know, <laughs> in a good way. But, um, yeah, we had to find some people that shared our spirit that, you know, said, I accept the odds of what this could be and let's get it because this could be something fantastic. At this point of the podcast, it would usually contain some sort of mid-roll ad for one of my crazy endeavors, but right now, I wanted to take a quick moment to share some pretty exciting news. Our little podcast is officially sponsored by Startup Sioux Falls. Startup Sioux Falls is a digital hub that connects entrepreneurs to the startup ecosystem and the startup community around the Sioux Falls area. You, you can think of the Startup Sioux Falls as a one-stop shop. It's got tons of resources, networking events, community with other business owners, and some of the latest news about startups in our area. If you want to learn more, you need to check out the website, www.siouxfalls.eco. That's siouxfalls.eco. You can get connected to the startup community, the Facebook group. It has over 6,000 members that engage in business ideas, feedback, strategy, and so much more. If you're listening to this podcast, this is definitely a place that you're going to want to be.
I really wanted to hone in about their struggle to get financing. So often, I talk to entrepreneurs who have bootstrapped their businesses. It's what I've always done. Sometimes we don't have the resources and capabilities to get money, but we figure out other ways to make it work. We start small, we build a little, we grow a little, we add a little here and there, but that just wasn't an option for these guys. They needed a space to brew copious amounts of beer and in a professional food-grade stainless steel system. They couldn't just hack this system together in a weekend with some fun money. They needed some resources. They needed money. Well, and, and to bring it back too, we talked to a lot yeah. of banks. Like it wasn't just one and we got one no. It was over and over and over. And it was the same thing where it took us, you know, a month of meeting with the banks because we had to make sure they could get their entire team together and they wanted to talk to the president of the bank and they wanted to talk to a personal banker and a, and a business banker and then to try to get our SBA representative there as well to make sure that we could all meet and hash through things and it usually took three, four, five meetings before we got a no. And so that got frustrating where it was just like, all right, here's all the things. And by, by about the probably 10th or 15th bank conversation, we got to the point where it's just like, here's everything. Here's this. Here's what we ran into last time. This is what we want to do. This is why. This is where we're going to go. This is what it's going to look like. X, Y, Z. Yes or no. You know, and I think that helped us a lot because in our first meetings, we were very like, well, you know, I mean, it's whatever. We can make it do whatever. Well, if you'd want me to do it that way, I can do it that way. Or if you want me to do it. And just finding ourselves and, no, this is us. This is what we want. This is how we're going to do it. And, and being confident in that puts confidence in the people that you're talking to. So, you know, being wishy-washy and being like, well, I'll change for whatever you want makes people go, they don't even know what they want. Why would I put money into that? And so uh, that really helped us both in our bank conversations and later on when we started actually trying to talk to investors. Because probably by about that 15th no from the bank, we kind of realized the writing on the wall, like, we're too new. We're too much of an unknown industry in this market. We're, you know, and, and the banks can put their money in things that they know are gonna work. And they have so many people coming in for the cash that is a better investment than us. And so, like he said, find a cowboy that's willing to kind of shoot into the mist and see what they hit, and that's, uh, that's what we needed to do. 15 plus no's from the bank, that's got to make a person start to doubt if this was even going to work, right? We never once said, no, this isn't going to work because A, we had seen it work so many other places. We knew the industry. Looking at the numbers and the upward swing of this industry, it was like, why wouldn't we grab onto this right now? Remember at this time, these guys were still working their full-time jobs. They're trying to pursue these meetings, explain away long lunches, and dealing with less than enthused bosses. Plus, they had to homebrew at night, which oftentimes took six plus hours. They had families, they had lives, relationships, friends. I wondered if they ever experienced burnout. Yes, uh, we were terrible at recognizing that, though. I kind of liken that to when you have a newborn at home and you just don't sleep. And you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. But then you get that one big sleep. You're like, I was not fine. <laughs> so what we've gotten better at now is identifying when we're hitting that and just taking our time. But at the point, it was all just... You know, you feel like you're spinning a bunch of plates and all of them about ready to crash. And uh, it just, you got to go through it to understand it. And um, it kind of comes down to, like you said, do you want to quit? Well, no. So then suck it up and get it done, right? So it's so, easier said than done at sometimes. But there's, you know, it, it took a toll. There's, you know, relationship issues. And, you know, your, your wife tapping the watch when you come home when he told her you'd be home two hours ago and stuff like that. Ah, uh, relationship issues. 
This is the thing that I love to talk about on the podcast. This is the area in entrepreneurship that personally I fail at the most, along with many others. But this early growing stage of business is so hard on any relationship with friends and families, even business partners, but especially with spouses. I would say like the the pangs of like, am I being selfish would creep in every once in a while. Like I I do have a wife, I don't, we didn't have a kid at the time, or she was just pregnant actually, so even worse. <laughs> but there, that's what kind of got to me, I guess, was like, am I being selfish in doing this? And to my wife's credit, like never once she would say, don't do this. It's like, no, I support you, do it. At the same time, try to get home for supper once a week, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's just, if you're committed to it and you're willing to pay the price, and it sounds kind of hackneyed a little bit, but like that's kind of what it comes down to. So these guys were in the thick of it at this point. They were still networking, brewing beer, talking to investors. They hadn't secured any funding for their idea yet. So how many no's did they go through before finally finding the right yes? Close to 150. Wait, 150 no's? Holy crap. I'll keep it kid-friendly this episode, but you know what I mean. Uh, But eventually, they did find the right group. Uh, For me, it was kind of fun because, uh, you know, we wanted to start very early on in our pitching uh, environment with the same feel that it comes when you come down to our tap house and have a beer. Like, this is warm, friendly, welcoming. It's family-friendly, and you build relationships down here. So it was, it was a lot of just being very confident and probably looking stupid at times when people are trying to say that's not going to work. But doing these tastings, making a whole bunch of homebrew and just say, hey, you got a party I see, you know, your, your Ted's friend's uncle's doctor's wife, whatever. You know, let's network, let's do that, let's make some beer for you. And it's relationship building. We, we essentially had to find people like us. And we're kind of weird, so there aren't a lot of people like us. And we did get some people who said, I want to invest this, and, but it just wasn't right fit. They wanted something different than what our vision was, or they wanted too much control. And that was the thing is, like, I'm, you know, we're not coming to this with money. We're coming to this with the drive and the IP. But uh, we will always retain vision and can creative control and control the company at all times. Like, it's not acceptable. And that's not a very good pitch for people with, that are giving you money. So it took a while. And we had, we had a lot of investors that, I will invest in you, but you got to do this. I'll invest in you in this. So one of my favorites was we had a guy that was going to basically fund the whole thing as long as we made sure we kept Bud Light on tap. And we're like, we, that's oh, not our vision. Like, you don't, you don't really see what we're trying to do here. Like, so, and yeah, so then we had a guy handing us money saying, here, take this, you got it, do what you want to do. But here's a small caveat and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, you, you clearly don't see it as we see it. You clearly don't understand what we want to do and how we want to do it. And so... Kept calling it a bar. Kept calling it a bar. <laughs> and it, it, it's seems, a bar. it seems minor, but it's a very important distinction. Okay, so it's not a bar. They are very clear about this distinction. But they serve beer. So if it's not a bar, then what is it? I like to basically say that we're we're a, a family-friendly tap house, you know. And so, uh, if you, if you look back in history, everything used to be done at the common house or the local pub, where people got together. They talked religion, politics. They talked about social events. They talked about what's going on in today's society. That's what we want here. We want everybody to come down and feel comfortable, and be kind of just that gathering place where everybody comes. We're, we're not looking for people to come down here and chug as many beers as they can and see if they can black out first. Like, that's, that's not our goal. That's not our vision. And that's not the type of people we attract. I think at least in part, this is what has fueled Remedy's success. They had a vision of creating an atmosphere, and an atmosphere that, that didn't exist in Sioux Falls. 
And after hundreds of no's and years of meetings and trying to get investments, when they finally got a potential yes, they turned it down just to keep their vision pure. And that is really something that's worth telling. And for those that don't know, this place is truly a family-friendly place. I see kids down here drinking root beer with their parents. There's dogs that are always meandering around with their owners inside the place. It's truly an environment unlike anything I've ever experienced. And that's exactly the feel that we, we try to portray down here. And that's why we're like, bring your family, bring your dogs, bring everybody, because so much of life, if you look back in history, has revolved around the drink, you know? And it's not necessarily to get drunk, it's to loosen up and relax. And alcohol is able to have that effect on you as long as you can use it properly. And that's what we, we, we push here. We push education, we push good conversation, and we push temperance, I mean, or moderation, not temperance. Um, and we're like, come down, relax, and just enjoy. And that's, that's what it really should be about. So from that original vision to what's open today, it proved to be quite an additional challenge. I think it all starts back with that vision. What was the vision of what we wanted? We wanted a space that was comfortable, welcoming, inviting for everybody, and to make some damn good beer. But a lot of it too was, well, what does that look like? You know, if, if you were to personify it, you know what I mean? What would that look like? Or if you were to, you know, physically imagine it. Uh, for me, it was a lot of, well, I'm from a small town, so just a small little bar that I stand behind 24 hours a day and everybody comes in and says hi to me. You know what I mean? Matt's bar, you know? And then to bring on Tyler and Jason and then to bring on other people and have that vision grow constantly and always evolve and always change, um, that was something that was both terrifying but I think crucial for us to be able to open while hanging on to that vision and making sure that the changes weren't pulling us away from what we wanted. And so this actually really snowballed into more than we probably could have imagined, which with both costs and uh, final product. And we're, we're really lucky, like he said, we had about four or five different venues that we looked at in Sioux Falls. And uh, that's another thing is, <laughs> brewing equipment is very heavy, especially when it's full. And a lot of these downtown places in Sioux Falls, we knew we wanted to be downtown a lot of the places downtown have substructures. So we would either have to completely redo the substructure and fortify it in order to be able to put our equipment on, which was immensely expensive, or we had to find a, a place that was slap on grade. And so having to work in those confines of what we wanted as opposed to what was available and where we could get it and how, we did have a few other plans that fell 100% completely through. Uh, one of them that I like to talk about is uh, the, the foundry building right on Phillips, um, where Duluth Trading Company is now. We actually put an offer on that location, thinking we were going to go right there. It was going to be fantastic. Um, there was a lot of room to work with. There was a substructure, but it was tall enough where we could put equipment down below, and we had kind of a really cool concept. But when that building fell out from underneath us, to take all these numbers and all of this work and all of this effort that you had put and then have to find a new building and come up with completely new construction costs and completely new renovation costs and everything like that, while at the same time talking to a lot of the same contractors that we used. And by the third or fourth building, you can see in their eyes that they're going, why am I even bothering with you guys? You don't know where you're going to go. You don't have a space. You don't have this and this. And so to still push through that, 
and be like, nope, guys, stay with me. You know, focus on the goal here. Focus on the big thing. I get paid, you get paid. You know, this is how it works. You know, and uh, being able to keep that motivation for everybody, that was definitely a challenge. One thing that's unique about this interview is the partnership dynamic of Remedy's business. It's not just Tyler's business. It's not just Matt's business. And it's not just Jason's business. They do this together. But man, these guys went through so much together from all the no's to the banks to working through uh, creating their space and, and, and maintaining their vision. So I had to wonder, like, how did that affect their relationship? I will tell you about a time that Tyler and I were at our highest stress with each other because we were to the point where we were finally making beer. We had beer in kegs, but we have 12 tap lines and we have four beers. And we kept trying to push our opening date back. Take it back another week, take it back another week, take it back another week. And I'm looking at this from a front of house, he's looking at this from a back of house production standpoint. We don't have enough beers. And finally, it was just a, we're gonna run out of money in the bank account. We're already underfunded and in way more debt than we were expecting to take on. And we have product that we're not selling. So we're opening next week. And him and I fought and almost came to physical blows <laughs> about pushing that opening date back because I said, we have to make money. We have to start bringing in something. Even if it's just $1,000, that's what we're going to pay our employees with that we have hired and trained and are ready to go. And we have to do this. And so it was, a, uh, it was, it was tough. And we did. We opened and had a massively successful first weekend. Mm -hmm. An entire line, probably for four hours, down the Eighth and Railroad Boardwalk is incredible. To open your doors and be like, "People can pay us for what we've been doing for the last six months." That's pretty sweet. Or six years. That's pretty sweet. Well, that is pretty sweet indeed. But going back to their relationship and dealing with each other as business partners, how do they work through their disagreements? You really find out who each other are when the chips are down, and you better have a good summation who that you think that person is. Uh, you know, everyone's a good college buddy to share a couple beers with, but you don't got to work a 17-hour shift next to them and then go home and then do it again. So 100% uh, the most successful thing we've learned is communication, even when it's unpleasant. Talk about your problems. You will have problems. It will get hard. You will want to get, you know, really aggressive with one another because you're just frustrated and tired. But you have to talk it out. And we're still learning that. We've gotten a lot better. But I'll be very honest with you, there are times where you're tested and you're like, do I want to do this, you know, with these people? And um, it always comes back to, I think this is fixable because I know who this person is. You just got to hash it out and be very open with that. And that's kind of our company philosophy. This is why I said in the beginning that Remedy's startup story is really robust and maybe resilient is a better word. They worked tirelessly for years, only to be told no time and time again. And then the challenges of finding the right space and going through the grind of all those challenges that entail. But after two successful years of making beer and brewing beer and selling the crap out of their beer, they're growing and in really big, exciting ways. Uh, so basically, we ran out of capacity here, uh, which is great for us. But in order for us to actually achieve that goal of trying to get our beer in as many hands as we can, we need to get into liquor stores. We need to get into the off-sale world. So this expansion is strictly to start with a production facility, um, and it's going to be about 10 times the size of what we have down here um, with the ability to grow very quickly. Um, and yeah, if we want to, I mean, we could, we could become quite a major distribution center out of there, or we can grow to the size that we need to.
Well, these guys are the epitome of resilience and confidence just in each other and in their vision and their product. It's hard to not be around them and listen to their story and just think, you know, I can do this too. If you've never been down to Remedy, they are located on uh, over on the 8th and Railroad building. Uh, we're just across from the CNA building. There are a ton of great shopping stores down here, uh, including ours, Juniper Apothecary. So that's a shameless plug if you couldn't tell. But for real, bring your friends, come and sit and have a drink. Enjoy the atmosphere and enjoy some really good beer. And you can also find them online at RemedyBrewCo.com as well as all the usual social media platforms. So looking ahead to next week at episode two, uh, I had the amazing opportunity to sit down with Carla Santi. Uh, Carly has a laundry list of accomplishments, but her main focus is her company called Blend Interactive. She's got a great story to tell about how she got started in a rather not so typical path to entrepreneurship. All right, guys, we'll see you next week.